Welcome to John Park's workshop. It's me, John Park, and here we are. We are back again together, uh, and I've got uh, a bunch of cool stuff going on today. If I uh, if I do say so myself, I think there's some fun stuff to work on, uh, and we also are going to have a uh, a special, exciting new show, uh, new old show, a favorite, which is Show and Tell. I'm going to be running a mini version of show and tell after this show today. So uh, that'll be at 2.30 p.m. Pacific time or 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. And I'm going to run it uh, pretty much like we run our usual show and tell. So there'll be a link to the StreamYard session that I'll place into Discord. Uh, And uh, that'll be a lot of fun. I'm training up on how to do those because Everyone is is adding to their skill set right now uh, at Adafruit while we're uh, doing things differently. And uh, PT and Lamore want to make sure in case they need to be pulled away for other important things, such as their uh, COVID response work, uh, that some of the other uh, remote team members are capable of running that show. So I'm going to practice today by having some of you on. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. Uh, but before we, we go and do stuff that's different and weird, let's do stuff that's uh, typical, which is to mention the Adafruit job board. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Someone told me that we're not seeing anything on YouTube yet. Let's see. All right. I believe you. I'm going to... Uh... Oh, someone said to refresh. Let's see. I could have confused the thing. Oh, it looks like it's running now. Yeah, I hit refresh, and it seems like I've got uh, got things going as usual. Do you see me there? I see the help wanted sign showing up on YouTube. Um, 
so I set up the uh, stream that's going to happen after this, which is going to be the, the one from StreamYard, so I was worried that had, had messed with things, but it looks like I'm there. Um, and yes, uh, I continue to grow in my apocalypse beard, so please brace yourselves emotionally and mentally for that every week. Uh, all right, so, but what was I mentioning? Well, I was mentioning the job board. We have a job board, and uh, it's a, a, a good time to go and check that out. Uh, in case you are looking for work, you can post your skill set and resume for free right there at jobs.adafruit.com, uh, and it's free for people to go and check out uh, available people who are looking for full-time Part-time, contract, freelance work, volunteer work. Uh, you can place all of those types of uh, jobs up there, and you can place your info so that people might find you if you're looking for some work. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was the Adafruit Daily website. We have uh, a number of newsletters, some of which are daily, some weekly, some monthly, uh, some sporadically, perhaps, uh, one of the ones that's monthly, which is coming up soon, next week, in fact, is going to be the next uh, Make Code Daily, or Make Code Newsletter, I should call it. So if you go here, you can sign up, uh, add in your email address there, hit go. Uh, and this is an archive of past uh, issues of the Make Code Newsletter, such as this one here from March. Um, so we'll have the April edition coming out next week. So please go and sign up uh, for that. And with that, how about a product of the week? You saw me uh, tip my hand there. The uh, product of the week this week is one that I've shown these off before and I love them. These are these uh, injection molded snap fit Raspberry Pi cases. And we have them both for the Raspberry Pi 3 and 2. Uh, B and B plus, I think maybe, uh, I think it's, it's, it's those is the bigger one. And then we have this one for the A plus and, uh, you can get, let me pop it over here. You can get these in a variety of colors and you can get them in the two different sizes. Uh, and the fun thing I think is that you get to buy the base and the lid separately. So you can pick, uh, little color combinations rather than just going with all orange. Like you see in the photo there, you can order just a blue base and just an orange top and, uh, create a cool little color-coded uh, setup for some of your Raspberry Pis. Here's one. Again, this is a A plus that I have in there, a little sort of mini one, uh, and it just snaps fit in. And there's still uh, space for the SD card, all of the inputs and outputs, power, USB, and so on. And with the lid in place, you can actually uh, still get to a few things. Let me place this one back on here. You can still get uh, that display out uh, ribbon cable and the camera ribbon cable are accessible as well as a uh, just a hole there that I think you could run kind of whatever out of uh, if you want. So that is my pick of the week uh, and that is the Raspberry Pi base case and uh, case lid. All right, uh, next thing I wanted to do was mention the... Um, gear report for this week. So I use this time to talk about either new gear I've gotten in, old gear I've rediscovered somewhere in my workshop uh, or in storage. Uh, hey, Tan Newt. Just saying hi to the people over in Discord. Welcome. Uh, and hey, Brandon McDevitt over in YouTube. I see you. Hello. Hello, Salem Rusford. 
so for the gear report, I've got a couple of things, and these are related to an upcoming project. I'll switch over to uh, bench cam here. Let me hide that. Uh, you can see there in the foreground, I'll zoom out a bit, I've got a keyboard here. So this is uh, going to be a Bluetooth LE MIDI project. Scott, actually, our own Tan Newt, has been working on a library for doing BLE MIDI on CircuitPython. And we were talking about different devices I could use to send MIDI signals uh, to something like a little feather sense. Here, I'll zoom back in a little bit. Uh, and one idea we had was taking apart an old keyboard of mine. This is an old MIDI controller and audio interface called an M-Audio Ozone. And I'm not using it now. It's a, it's a massive pain to try to get modern operating systems to, to deal with these due to driver issues. But what I discovered upon taking it apart is that we have a really nice key bed to work from. Uh, often these key beds don't come out all in one piece, uh, or if they do, they don't have a lot of easy ways to attach them. This one, in fact, has this really nice rectangular base that it sits on. It has screw holes uh, in the bottom. It has a couple of mounting tabs. So I'm thinking, and it lays flat, I'm thinking this might make a nice little keyboard with maybe a small wood enclosure around it. And it has a diode uh, switch matrix here. You can see all these little diodes and uh, they're running to this ribbon cable. It's a two by eight, I think, 16 position uh, IDC cable. So that's gonna be uh, perhaps something you'll see in an upcoming project is pairing those things. And uh, this may be finally something I use my power glove for. So along similar lines, I may use a clue or an itsy or, a, or one of the uh, feathers that's got, uh, the feather sense in fact, this is the FeatherSense um, NRF52840. It has accelerometer on it, so that could be cool to embed in here to be able to use accelerometer for a couple of axes of MIDI control, uh, as well as the flex sensors that are built into, I think three of the fingers have them. Um, maybe four, actually, I guess four of them. Yeah, four of these may have them. Uh, so that's uh, my gear report. Is these are these are pretty cool. Sometimes you can find them fairly cheap. I think I got this on eBay for less than fifty bucks. Some people just find them at yard sales for almost nothing. So um, that's my gear report. Some stuff that you should see coming up uh, and using some of this BLE MIDI and Circuit Python stuff. All right, what do you think of that? Uh, I'd be interested to know in the comments uh, uses people have found for BLE MIDI. Um, it's a bit of a unknown to me. I've gotten, I've made some demos work where I'm sending BLE MIDI signals to an iOS dev device. Uh, there aren't too many hardware synthesizers that have BLE MIDI as far as I know, um, but there are some dongles that, that exist or we could maybe make our own dongle uh, to, to send that MIDI signal. So that's what I've got. Uh, someone asks in the chat, uh, let me pop over to the Discord chat here, Wolf220 said, what was the purpose of the Power Glove? Ah, I'm glad you asked. The, the Power Glove had a sensor bar, Let's see if I can find mine, uh, that plugged into the Nintendo's uh, uh, SNES, I think it was. And here's kind of it falling apart, but these, this is a little bar that had three ultrasonic sensors in it and uh, a little interface for plugging the Power Glove into this and then this into your Nintendo. Uh, and so it could act as a three-position controller for uh, translation in space, XYZ space. So you'd, you'd put it on and you could um, control something in a game through your movement. It was tracking movement. 
Uh, it might have been tracking rotation too because the ultrasonic emitters are here and here. And so uh, as that time of flight, I guess, uh, calculation by those three sensors in the sensor bar um, was reading the difference between those two, it could, tri- it could essentially triangulate in space. Um, and then it also had uh, sort of a controller, button controller and D-pad here for selecting items or menu or shooting. Uh, and it also had um, flex sensors here, this variable resistors, so you could uh, change things in a game depending on grip of four of those fingers. And uh, I never used one on a real game. It was a massive disappointment, entirely terrible to play with for the most part, really uncomfortable. The games were awful, but uh, it's uh, for whatever reason, people, myself included, really love the, the hardware itself, even, even though it wasn't... Um, it was a, a, a sort of a technology ahead of its time or an idea ahead of the technology of the time, maybe. Um, but that's the Power Glove, yeah. All right, uh, what else? <laughs> I'm glad to see, yeah, I'm glad to see Tan Newt says so excited about this. Um, yeah, I'm trying to talk uh, Scott into writing a, a library uh, for CircuitPython that'll help in decoding those kinds of matrices. So. Stay tuned and, and bug Scott about that. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. What else do we have? Uh, so that was my gear report. And now why don't we take a look at uh, the Make Code Minute. All right. Uh, let's bring up a few little things to look at here. Uh, so for the Make Code Minute today, what I want to talk about is creating an animation function for a light pulse, which we can then control the color of using a button on the Circuit Playground Express. So here you can see I've got my Circuit Playground Express, and it is pulsing this nice little pulse animation uh, in a single color, and it's just changing the brightness right now to increase and decrease in this little pulsing manner. When I press the button, the A button here, I'll get a different color, and it's a randomly selected color. So the way that I'm doing this inside of Make Code, let me hide that for a second. You can see uh, on start, I'm using this set all pixels to, and I'm using hue, saturation, and value, which is easier than red, green, blue for this sort of thing, uh, because I'll be able to randomize just the hue value later. Uh, when I want to change color. So at first we'll get a a particular color here, kind of a reddish color. Uh, And then for my forever loop, I'm calling a function that I made called light pulse, and I'm giving it a value of 128. So if we look at this function, what the function does is it brings in, (coughs) excuse me, whatever that number is that I sent along with the call to the function, and I'm calling that a variable named max, which is an integer value. What happens is I loop through twice. The first time I loop through, I run a value of zero to whatever that maximum number is. So that's essentially going to be the highest level of brightness we get to. So we're going to go once through and set the brightness of the NeoPixels to zero, and then one, two, three, four, all the way up to 128. Uh, I also happen to be logging this in the console. So what you can see is there are my values going up and down that are controlling that brightness. And then if I 
uh, go back here and take a look at what happens after we run through that one loop, we've reached peak brightness. Then we go through and do it backwards. So I'm setting the brightness to whatever that max value is minus the index number, which will go 0, 1, 2, 3 up, up through. So it'll essentially decrease that brightness. Then to change the colors, I click the button. What happens is it sets a variable I created called hue to a number between 0 and 255 using this random block. Then it sets all the pixels to that hue. And then I'm also logging that inside of the console, which you can see uh, if I, let's see, I don't think it's going to show it because I'm not plugged in properly. But uh, if you have your, your um, actual, um, uh, well, I can show here. What am I talking about? Yeah. So here you can see if I press the A button on my simulated console, I'm also graphing on that second graph the whatever the color value is, which is random. So you can see that looks pretty random. Every time I hit it, and I can hit it real fast and change the colors even while it's midstream, uh, those are random values, whereas this other is a nice even increase and decrease of brightness values over time. Uh, and so that is... Uh, a way that you can use make code to create your own custom animation cycle with a random color input inside of make code. And that is your make code minute. Okay. Uh, so now what I want to do is take a look at my make code arcade game pick of the week. And my pick of the week this week is, pull that screen off of there, called Pergamon Arcade. And this is a really beautiful, uh, unexpected subject matter, which is Greek mythology uh, in a side-scrolling adventure game. So here we, if we, uh, let me restart this, I think. Is it not showing the... Okay, you know what? There's some text that, that isn't popping up, but if we take a look back at uh, the code on this, I'm not sure why that text isn't showing up. Uh, here is the long text which says, Athena Nikephoros. Nikephoros means bringing victory, but her hand is empty. So this is Nike, uh, I believe. And let's take a look at the game. We get this little bitogad character. Uh, and I'm probably getting all of my mythology wrong here. Um, it says her hand is empty. Oh, yes, yeah, so that ran through that. Sorry, that ran through that text that I saw. Uh, but you're essentially running around on these uh, ancient Greek buildings and collecting coins, uh, looking for, looking out for fireballs that are going to attack, attack you and little spikes. Oh, there's a, there's a fireball. Here's a big set of stairs. And I just wanted to show you this because... Check out these graphics. It's really beautifully done, really well developed. Uh, and look at this freeze right here. Is that a freeze or a fresco? I can't remember. It's been a long time. Uh, and there's a little bonus level here with this terrifying pink background. I'm not sure if we're in hell or what's going on. Um, so I encourage you to go and check this out. Oh, here comes a fireball. Uh, this is my arcade game pick of the week, and it is called Pergamon Arcade. And you can find the link at the forum.makecode.com arcade uh, category. Uh, and I'll also be putting this into a blog post uh, in, a, in a video uh, at the beginning of next week, and you can find the link in there. And that is the Make Code Arcade Game Pick of the Week. All right. Uh, let's see. That's so many of me there. Let me pull that one off.
off. What have we got next? Uh, I can get this out of the way now, actually. Let me hide that. Uh, mentioned that. Mentioned our special show and tell. I'm just checking my notes here. Gear report, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, well, so we can talk about uh, the project of the week. So I showed this off in show and tell last night. Um, and let me do a little bit of a, a setup here. I'm going to head over to the, uh, the workbench to show you what we're working with. So what I have is a Bluetooth LE-capable barbecue temperature sensor unit here. And these are quite inexpensive. You can get units that have just a single probe on them for $15 or $20. I splurged and spent $23 and ended up with one that has not one, not two, not three, but six probes. Uh, and they all plug in with these little 3.5 millimeter stereo connectors, TRS connectors. Uh, and the way this works, it takes a couple of AA batteries. And what I'll do is go ahead and plug in a probe. These are actually color-coded in my software, so I know that green is the one I was using as, as number one. Uh, and these actually come with a pretty nice um, little winding harness here to keep it neat when it's not in use. But otherwise, you can just pop that off because this thing would not be heat safe. But the rest of this is, uh, it's just got a silicone housing and, uh, and a thermocouple in here. Uh, and a very uh, robust metal uh, woven cable. So what I'll do is plug that into port one and power this on. And what this will do is it will go ahead and check the temperature of all the probes. Right now it's seeing that there's just one probe plugged in. Uh, so I'll plug in a second probe here and I'll hold one of them so that we definitely have different temperatures. So the one in my hand is, is the one that's higher around 79 degrees. Um, and the other is the ambient temperature of about 73. So the idea is that you can go ahead and measure the temperature of a number of different racks in a smoker or a grill if you're slow cooking something. Uh, I think the range is up to something like 300 degrees centigrade, so you could, you could cook some hot stuff with these. Um, and one of the cool things is rather than sort of staying outside with your grill and looking at the, uh, the values on here as you cook, you can use Bluetooth with these. So there's an app that you can get for an iOS device or I believe an Android device called Easy Barbecue, I think it is, and there, there may be others. Uh, but the Easy Barbecue one works with the protocol that's on a number of these sensors. And I'm writing up a guide that will include information on different models that, that use that protocol, which is called iBBQ. Uh, and what happened is Dan Halbert wrote a CircuitPython library that uses that protocol. Uh, and that means that we can now send this information to any of our Bluefruit-capable devices. Right now, it's the NRF52840 devices uh, that I think this is geared towards. And so what I have is, if we set this over here, if we uh, take a look at my clue, pop to the down shooter here, and I've got a clue to plug in. What happens is, when this starts up, it will uh, scan for 
me try to focus that. Oh, there's my exposure. Uh, it's going to start scanning for a Bluetooth device that's running that iBBQ um, protocol. And you can see I have a little splash screen that says Clue, which is a terrible joke that I love. And let's see, how's that focus look? Let me go to a full screen view of this just so I can tell. That looks pretty good. Uh, and so the um, device sends out a um, list of all of the different temperatures. It actually also sends a second um, piece of data that includes the uh, level of the battery, the health of the battery, the voltage of the battery that's in there. So what I've got happening in the software is I'm just looking at uh, that set of numbers that comes, and it comes as six values, uh, and I break those into a little list, and I just display them one at a time, and I've also color-coded the, the screen, actually showing these colors uh, a little weird when you look straight on, but so that represents the blue, uh, green, that's number one, uh, number two is this blue, and three is the red, and four is the orange, five yellow, and six is uh, purplish pink. Uh, which ends up looking blue on the screen right now. So that uh, is sort of the proof of concept version. You can see there it's displaying that temperature value uh, right now in Fahrenheit, but uh, we could change that to Celsius if you want to. So what I thought I'd do is show you what that uh, code looks like and then talk about some, uh, some projects that we can build using this device. So let me pop open, uh, how about Moo? That'll work. And let's see, I can set this to be the background still so you can see that, which is fun. All right, so I'm going to zoom way into that code there so I can read it and you can read it. Uh, and some of that's going to fall off the side of the screen there, but I'll try to talk you through it. So what's happening right now is I'm bringing in some libraries that make uh, a number of these commands available inside of CircuitPython. So I'm bringing in time because I want to do some pausing bringing in display I.O. because I want to put text using bitmap fonts as well as display shapes like the circle and the square in there. Um, let me see if I can move this over a little. There you go. And then I'm bringing in the key thing here, which is this IBBQ service uh, library that Dan wrote. And then I'm bringing in the clue library. The clue library makes a bunch of functions uh, sort of high level and easy to use because that means we know which port different buttons and sensors and things uh, where the display is connected and so on. So it makes it easier to code stuff on the clue if you use that library. And then I'm bringing in the circle shape uh, drawing code as well as uh, the text import uh, label. So label is a, a library that allows us to throw text up on the screen. And the bitmap font library, which lets me use uh, pre-made bitmap fonts that look nicer than just a simple terminal font. Uh, then I'm instantiating the display and setting the brightness to 0.08, so it's not too bright. And then uh, I'm giving the display group a maximum size of four. And you can kind of think of this as a hierarchy of objects that allow you to have things like a background, a shape, and a label or two. Um, so we set, set that group up and then we append things into that group before we display. Um, the... Next thing I'm doing is setting up some custom colors. So I decided to get fancy and I, I went in with an eyedropper tool inside of Photoshop and picked some specific colors I liked and read out their, their hex values so that I can 
call those up. And then I also uh, set a, uh, essentially a rectangle in the background. And that's what this color bitmap palette, I'm setting the palette color, setting a sprite, uh, which is a rectangle at a certain pixel location. Uh, And then I'm appending that to the palette so I can display it later. So that's what's giving me this sort of dark orange corner back here. Originally, I was going to do a full uh, 240 by 240 background, but I got the numbers wrong, and I had 120, 120 in there by accident. I was like, oh, I kind of like that little uh, shape. That's a little more interesting than just a circle on top of a square. Uh, So happy accident there. Uh, Then what I'm doing is I'm creating a list. Uh, This is like an array if you come from C or Arduino. So I'm creating a list, a Python list, of those color names, which will allow me to refer to them later by an index number that is uh, relative to which probe I'm looking at. So the first probe is going to get green because that's probe zero, and this is index zero color, and so on. Uh, Then I create a circle, and that's this big blue circle you see in the middle, um, and fill it with a color initially. It's just an outline, actually. It's filled black, and it has a, a dark, has this burnt umber color as the, as the stroke line that goes around it. Uh, if I restart this, and one way to restart it is just to hit save uh, inside of Moo. So you'll see my uh, clue board restart. Uh, and so that's the initial circle, which is actually, essentially it's filled black because it, it's showing up on top of the, uh, the square back there without revealing that it's a square. Uh, and then I'm putting text in there. So you can see I create a text group. Again, it's this sort of graphical hierarchy of objects. So I create a group that has a max size of four objects that can be inside of it. And the first object I'm putting in is called the title font. Uh, I'm bringing in the Gotham black uh, at a point size of 50, which is a bitmap font that I created, uh, starting with the Gotham font and converting it into a uh, one font size. So you start with a typeface, and then I'm creating a font at a, at a type size, which is um, 50 in this case, which looks good. And then I'm also loading in glyphs in advance. So this is a way to speed up your uh, the user's perception of the program, is to spend some time upon startup loading glyphs, which is characters essentially, that you're going to use into memory. Um, By loading them into memory on startup, then we won't take a hit uh, later when um, we need to type a new word out that we haven't seen before. So uh, what I did was picked all of the numbers. I'm using a period. Uh, I'm using, I start with that word barbecue, so I have those letters uh, in capital, and then I have lowercase Uh, I write the word no probe, so I brought in those. And I think I was using a hyphen at one point. I can't remember if I am now, but there it is. It's being loaded. Uh, And then I create my first text label, uh, which is the the hierarchical name of that object that's going into this group. Uh, It's a label with this word BB clue showing up first, and I can also tell it what color to be. Um, And I give it a coordinate location, so it's X... Uh, horizontally over 12 pixels, and Y, it's vertically down 120, which is the center of this screen. And then I append this uh, label into that that text group. Uh, Then I'm uh, 
appending that text group into the display group, and then I show the whole display, and that's the first time that it actually shows anything. Then we get into uh, doing some of our BLE, uh, Bluetooth radio, uh, checking for uh, instantiating the radio, and then uh, checking for a connection with the uh, iBBQ device. Initially, we say that there is none, but then we'll go and scan and find one that's advertising that service. If you remember back to some of our other Bluetooth projects, we can uh, look and see which services a device is advertising and then only uh, concentrate on connecting to those. Uh, once we connect to that, we are creating a variable called temps, which is all of the temperatures that are uh, coming across uh, as a list, essentially, from the device, as well as a variable called bat, which is all of the um, battery attribute values that are coming over from the Bluetooth device. Uh, let's see, can I let me zoom it down a level here? Uh, so then here's something, this is kind of a gotcha. It's something I ran into before on, I think, the heart rate monitor project. And I, even looking at my code, I couldn't remember what was the, what was the trick to making this work. When that um, data comes across, that attribute is a series of values. There's six values that come over from, from this device. Um, I don't think I'm printing them right now. Let me see if I can... Yeah, I won't turn that on. I'll, I'll mess things up right now. Maybe I'll, I'll do it later. But when, when this comes across, it comes across as a list of six items, and I want to be able to um, ask for each of those individual items by index number. Uh, the problem is when I first look at that list, sometimes it has no data yet. This is something that happens when a Bluetooth connection is made, is sometimes you get the attribute value sent across and its value equals none. It just hasn't uh, caught up to the, the cycle of checking all of its, uh, its temperatures and, se and sending that burst of data out. So when I was trying to subscribe, uh, what's, what's the word for it? Yeah, subscribe to, or it's, it says it's a subscriptable list. When I tried to pull objects from that list, it says you can't. Uh, and that's the reason because we were getting, uh, we were asking when it hadn't sent a, a real list yet. So this was the key here. If the temps is not none, uh, if it shows up as none, then it, then it uh, goes haywire. So what I do is I say, if you're getting a, a, a transmission from the BLE device and the answer is we, we're not telling you any sensor values yet, I'm not trying to, to do anything. Once that changes, once it actually sends a successful list, then I can proceed with, with the sort of expected stuff. Um, so what I do then is I check uh, the size or the length of that array or that list, and I call that probe count. So now I know... Uh, if I'm using a four-probe device or a two-probe device or a one-probe device or a six-probe device, I can uh, iterate through the number of probes that we're expecting. Um, so that's how we, we find out how many probes are there. And these will send six values whether or not there's probes plugged in. It will send a zero or a large, large number that's way beyond the range. Uh, in, in the case of this one, it sends 6,552.5, I think it is. Um, so... I will get a value, but I can filter out based on those values. So what happens then is for the first item that I get, when I look at that list of six things, the first uh, value I get is going to be what is plugged into the first uh, probe on there. I keep pointing back at me, but I, I can hold it up here. So whatever is plugged into uh, that one there is going to come across as the first value. And what do I do with it? So I draw a circle based on my 
color list, which you remember was green. So the, the first item there, or, or item zero, is green. So I'll go and I'll grab that and I'll just change the color of my circle. So all we have to do is change the outer circle dot fill uh, command to whatever that color is and that'll redraw it for us automatically. Uh, and I'm doing the same sort of thing with the text label. I'm actually printing nothing at first, so I'm blanking it so it doesn't still say BB clue. And I'm changing the color at that point to black, which is going to punch that text through to the sort of black background. Or make it look that way at least. Uh, then if, uh, here's where I'm filtering. So you can see here it says if the temps, you know what, I'm going to move this over. Hold on one second. Let me mess with things. This will help you see what I'm talking about. There we go. Uh, so here's where I'm filtering temperatures that mean that there's no probe plugged in. If the temperature uh, of that index that we're currently looping through isn't zero or it isn't uh, or rather, it's not zero and it's not greater than a thousand. Um, so, so these aren't going to give you a value over a thousand. So that seemed to work well enough for filtering. Then we proceed with the next thing, which is I'm calculating the Fahrenheit. These, these put out a value in centigrade. So I'm taking that uh, and I'm creating a variable called temp, which is based on the current index from that uh, list. Multiply it by nine divided by five plus 32, and that gets me Fahrenheit. Uh, and then I'm moving my label to center it, since this is a different length uh, than the BB clue. So it's moving over to X is 45. Uh, and then I'm printing that value along with some formatting that Melissa helped me with because I'm always terrible at formatting this kind of stuff in Python. So thank you, Melissa. Uh, and so this will put that number followed by a space and a, uh, let's see, can I move that into the foreground? I'll move me over, over to... Hold on one second, more uh, rejiggering. So you'll see there a number will show up dot, uh, it's a number dot number space F for Fahrenheit, uh, and then it formats the, the variable temp into that. Uh, oh, I am printing that temperature. Okay, so we should see, um, by the way, I figured out what I was doing wrong last week was I had my camera switcher plugged in. I was trying to find stuff on the serial port. That's because my camera switcher is a Circuit Python device and it always steals my serial port first. So sorry I didn't figure that out until about a half hour after the show. Uh, so here you can see it's a little hard to read, but at the bottom it's telling me probe two temperature is 73.4, probe three is unplugged, four is unplugged. So I'm printing uh, either the value uh, here or if I scroll down a little bit. This is the case where it's unplugged because it was a, either a zero or greater than a thousand. And so there I just print out to my serial port for debugging purposes. Uh, but then what I print to the screen is just no probe. Um, and I figured that was uh, a reasonable length uh, and, and clear to, to write inside of that space. Uh, we can also, you can see here if I, if I uncomment this, uh, move it here, let's say. I have a battery check. So let's see, it'll take it a moment to, to reconnect. But that should be, should be uh, able to tell me the battery level. I'm not sure actually what it's, it actually puts two values out, both of which are around the three volts that I'm expecting from, from two batteries. Um, but it, it lists two values and I'm not sure what those are. Uh, here we go. So probe one temperature 77, probe two 
the next ones are all unplugged. And then if you look down here at the bottom, you'll see the battery level is 3.019 comma 3.275. So uh, if anyone knows, I didn't look, look closely at the, maybe Dan commented that into the library. I'm not sure what, what those two values are, but something in there is the battery value. Uh, and those are healthy battery values, so I'm not gonna worry about it. Uh, and that is it. That is the bulk of, uh, of what's happening with the project right now. Um, let me check the comments over in Discord and YouTube because sometimes people will know. Oh, A space AA in YouTube asks, what's up? What are we making? So this is, uh, I'm using a barbecue uh, Bluetooth thermometer that has six of these probes you can plug into your uh, things that you're smoking or, or cooking. Um, could use for other stuff there. I think they're calibrated for cooking foods, but, you know, so I wouldn't probably rely on them for checking the temperature of a human, but you can use them for other things. Uh, maybe like if you're brewing something, if you're making, uh, your own bread, which is, you know, much the craze during this particular pandemic. Um, and then sending the Bluetooth value of all of those separate probes to a, um, circuit Python device, such as my clue here, which is then reading those probes and, and displaying their values. Um, the, okay, let's see. Did anyone tackle the battery question? Let's see. Could be a measured versus expected, so you can calculate percentage. Oh, that's a good, that's a good call, Jekyll Ryan, Jekyll Bracket Ryan. Uh, that could be it. Good call. And, yeah. Good, good. There's Power Glove on chat on Twitch side. Are people on Twitch having a Power Glove chat? That would be cool. Uh, so yeah, look, look forward to that. There'll be, there'll be more Power Glove chats, I think, in our future. All right, so that's my project of the week. Um, why don't we take a few minutes to see if anyone has any questions uh, over in the chats, the various chats. I'm not in the Twitch chat, I'm sorry to say. I'm over in the Discord chat um, and in the YouTube chat, keeping an eye on those. Hi, Ted Rogers. Thank you. Ted says, we love your projects. I appreciate that. Um, the couple of other things I wanted to mention. Uh, one is if you are uh, a member of a medical staff at a hospital or doing research on medical uh, equipment and devices and personal protection equipment, uh, you can still place orders at Adafruit. Otherwise, orders are on hold for now. You can place an order, but we're not shipping anything out right now. Uh, other than uh, COVID-19 related things. Um, but you can still get uh, most Adafruit things by going over to DigiKey. So thank you for DigiKey for keeping our, uh, our products rolling out there. It's what makes this show possible. Uh, it's what keeps the lights on uh, in the homes of, of all of Adafruit's uh, workers. We're continuing to pay everyone who is at home. Uh, so we really appreciate your support. Uh, people who are uh, either buying gift certificates or subscribe to Adabox. It will come out, we promise, at some point. We're not sure exactly when now, but uh, if you subscribe, that's, a, that's another way to support us by putting money into our coffers. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention was, again, I'll mention that I'm going to do a very special uh, mini edition of the show and tell. Uh, so it is our typical Adafruit show and tell that you know and love. 
and uh, except it's going to be happening in uh, about 40 minutes or so. I'm going to I'm going to run that at 2:30, 2:30 uh, p.m. Pacific time. That's 5:30 p.m. Eastern time. You can figure out other time zones from there, but uh, it's roughly 40 or 50 minutes from now. And you can check the Discord chat. Uh, if you go to adafru.it slash discord, you can uh, join the live broadcast channel. And in there, we will have a uh, link to the StreamYard show and tell. And I'm laughing because uh, Tan Newt Scott said, the show and tell may not be as many as you think. Yeah, well, you know, I'm planning for a half hour show and tell, the typical length. But, you know, we'll... Uh, We'll, we'll see. If there's lots and lots of people, we might, we might go along. I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't have another show after this, so <laughs> I'm, I'm okay going along. Uh, Janisku says, how about a Power Glove show and tell? Yeah, everyone with Power Glove Project, please, uh, please tell. You know what? I posted about my Power Glove on, on Twitter uh, and Instagram, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and someone, uh, I think a professor who was teaching computer programming said in the 90s he was teaching a class and wanted to work with some power gloves and it had already, you know, that, that product had already failed and died by then. And he wrote to Mattel Canada who sent him four new, new ones for free out of a warehouse. I don't know if that deal still stands. Maybe we should ask uh, Mattel if they want to unload any more, uh, power gloves at some point when things get back to normal. Uh, also, okay, here's an exploration of the, um, current level Get current battery level in volts as current voltage max voltage. Results are approximate and may differ from the actual battery voltage by 0.1 volt or so. Okay. So that could be used to to do a percentage thing, right? Um, Wolf220 says, can't you use the ultrasonic sensor in the power glove to hack it? Yeah, you know, I um, have seen some really... uh, extensive power glove hacks over the years that a couple of different people have done. Uh, Mira Mechtley is one of them, friend of Adafruit and friend of Make and, and friend of mine going way back. Uh, and, and these are cases where people have put a, a lot of effort into scanning the buttons, uh, reading in the, the ultrasonic sensors, I think, uh, reading in the bend sensors, and then creating drivers and plugging them into to modern computers over USB, all kinds of incredible uh, advanced hacks. I'm going to try to go for super simple uh, just to, to maybe get the bend sensors going. Um, I'm not so sure. It's so, sometimes you'll find a uh, the buttons are hard to deal with because they're all running under a blob of epoxy to some little matrix driver or whatever. Uh, and the ultrasonic sensors, I don't know what protocol that would be coming in and it would probably be over my head to figure that out. But if any of you want to reverse engineer that thing or find some links to it, uh, could be interesting. Could be interesting to do uh, distance sensing for, for some stuff. Uh, all right. Well, I'll tell you what, that's all I've got for this show uh, right now. Uh, but I'm going to go and uh, prepare some things so that we can do our uh, next show and tell at 2.30 uh, East, uh, Pacific time, 5.30 Eastern time. I hope I said that right uh, earlier. And uh, I hope to see some of you on there. You can come by with projects you're building, projects you've built, tools that you'd like to share, uh, 
tips and tricks from your workshop or, or your hobby or the things you like to do. Uh, I, I, I mentioned on my own Twitter, you can come on and tell a happy story if you want or share a beverage and a thought with us, uh, whatever you like. I look forward to seeing you. Uh, and so please come on back here in just a little bit. And the details are up on the Adafruit blog. So if you go to blog.adafruit.com, you can see info about our next show and tell. All right, for Adafruit Industries, I'm John Park. This has been John Park's workshop, and I will see you in a little bit. Bye-bye. Thank you.